Good morning, church. It's always good to be here worshiping with you all. Thank you. She's complimenting my sweater. I bought this sweater at ARC last week for my old grandpa bit in the play, and then I was like, you know what, I kind of like it, so I'm just going to not have it be a costume. Uh, It's that time of year uh, where we celebrate a year past, and we look forward to a year ahead of us. Um, It's that time of year where we uh, are going to do our yearly Bible challenge. So Aaron and Ann, if you could come up and help me pass out some of these uh, tokens here. Uh, For many years, Rod and Marilyn have sponsored this giveaway of sorts. Hold on to this. Um, And they're small tokens to celebrate a year of daily Bible reading. And so if you have been faithful to that uh, challenge, reading every day or or maybe every week, making sure that you spend time in the Word, uh, please stand so that you can uh, receive this small token. Go ahead. There we go. Talking to Marilyn this morning, and she said she's been, uh, they've been doing this for nearly 30 years. 30 years here at Southeast, they've had this Bible reading challenge. Um, and once you get it, you can sit down. They've been doing it for, for 30 years, 30 years. Some of you maybe have been here for 30 years. Maybe you have 30 of these. Maybe they're on a desk, on a bookshelf, in a drawer somewhere. Small tokens to remind you, little keepsakes, to remind you of the dedication that you've put towards God's Word and spending time in Scripture. Uh, for others, maybe this is your first one, or maybe still others, you're still hoping for that that year that you can dedicate fully and completely and, and, and get one yourself. All would agree, though, that these tokens are not the reward for reading Scripture daily. It's a byproduct. The real reward is the growth, encouragement, peace, and guidance that comes from... This was, see if I can get this going. Could you unplug that thing and plug it right back in? It's a little finicky. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Come on. Don't do this to me today. The real reward is what happens internally while reading Scripture. It's, it has nothing to do, really, in, in and you who read daily don't read it in hopes of just getting this little pin every year or this ornament that the Lamberts provide. But again, it comes, the real reward is that growth, that encouragement, that peace, that strength, and that guidance that comes living every day within the Word of God. The real hard part, though, is remembering that. That's the tough part. I liken it to... Was this working for you this morning, Brad? Did you break this? Where did Brad go? Huh? Did you break it? Could you click on the uh, on the actual thing again? Well, that it, there we go. There we go. I liken it to a runner's high. Uh, for any runners out there, the runner's high is this feeling of euphoria you get while running or immediately afterwards. It's something that helps you push through the pain, 
push through the, 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 the tiredness that you might have, and it's a feeling of contentment and euphoria. And it's something that keeps runners running. It, it's what brings them out of bed every morning if they, if they run early in the morning or it gets them out on the street every night. It's because they know when they're going to be out there, they're going to feel good. They're going to feel like they're doing something right, and it's going to fulfill something deep within them. It's a powerful yet fleeting feeling, however, like most times. Um, eight or nine years ago, I was at my healthiest. I was running almost every day. Um, any given week, I was running at least four times a week. I was getting anywhere from 12 to 20 miles in a week, um, which for avid runners is not that much. There was actually a coach I, had, uh, I didn't have. He was a coach at my high school who ran eight miles to school and from school every day. He was about yay tall. Yay tall. He was a short guy. He was the running coach, and he just ran all the time. And as soon as school was out, he would, like, leave, take off his shirt, and then just start running home. Every, every day you would see him running out like that. It didn't matter if it was cold outside or whatever. He would leave, shirt off, take off down the street. Because running was that big of a part of his life. It, in Again, 12 to 20 miles a week was nothing for him. That was maybe two days. But for me, it was a huge deal. It was a lot. For the first time in my life, I was dieting and exercising at the same time. And I was seeing a lot of good results in my life. I had that runner's high, and that kept me going out on the street and running every evening, almost. I was actually looking forward to running, which was a strange thought now that I talk about it. That all ended because of a small setback, however. That setback was moving to Colorado. We moved to Colorado, um, and I tried to start running immediately. We moved here. I think we got our stuff moved in. A, a couple days, I decided, okay, I'm going to go for a run, kind of see the neighborhood, uh, and get back into this. Now, I'm from Oklahoma, like most of you know. In Oklahoma, the land is pretty flat. Um, the hills that are there aren't that bad. And we had this great thing called oxygen. Now, oxygen is really helpful. If you've lived in Colorado your whole life, you don't know about it. Now, what oxygen does is it helps you survive while running. Coming here, I, 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 I didn't know that. I wasn't fully aware of life without oxygen. And I couldn't even run a mile. My typical run was, three, uh, was 5K. I would run 5K every, every time I went running. I would just run out 3.11 miles or whatever that is. I couldn't even make it a single mile. And that hurt. Like physically I was hurting. But it hurt me in my head as well because that runner's high was not there anymore. It was just pain. And so I decided to give it a break, let it rest for a bit, maybe let my body acclimate, and then, you know, after a month or so when my, I'm used to this weird life without oxygen, I'll be able to run again. But something happened in that wait for acclimation is I forgot about that runner's high. I forgot about that feeling of euphoria. I forgot about one of the reasons that kept me going out on the road every day. And so that which was such a big part of my life became a habit that was quickly broken. 
almost instantly, again, because of one single setback. I became lazy and complacent. I've had similar experiences in my, my, my life experience of studying the Bible as well. I've gone through those same feelings of, of euphoria and, and, and excitement while I'm maybe at a, at a camp or at a retreat or, or maybe I'm in, in, a, in a church and I have a particular Bible study group that I'm in and I'm in the Word daily or I'm in the Word you know, weekly where we're spending time together and studying the Word and I feel on fire and it feels great and I'm there and it's affecting every part of my life. But then one small setback occurs and then I stop reading daily. Or I stop going to that Bible study maybe because it just stops meeting. And that consistency goes away almost instantly. And that that memory of how impactful spending my life in the Word was disappears from my mind. I don't think I'm alone in this. If you're brave, raise your hand and let me know I'm not alone in this. If If you don't want to out yourself, give me a little auction sign to let me know that you're tracking with me today. You're in good company. It's part of being human. Because we struggle. Because it's not easy sometimes. Because just like that runner's high, the farther you remove yourself from the activity of studying the Word, the farther you're removed of how impactful it is on your life. We easily become distracted by other time obligations, other things that we fill our times with. We quickly run out of time. And so we say to ourselves, well, if, if I have time, then I'll study. If I have time, then I'll, then I'll spend some time in prayer rather than making sure that that time is made. And again, before you know it, the memory of that spiritual high that we felt is gone. Maybe we even attribute it just to those thin spaces in the world. Those, those, well, that's a feeling that I can only get at camp. That's a feeling that I can only get during a retreat. That's a feeling I can only get on Sunday mornings. Back in college, I had a Bible that was my, I kind of called it my car Bible because it was the Bible I had in my car. And I would grab it when I would go into church and then would go right back in the back seat. Part of me talked myself into the fact, well, I always have it ready just in case. But the truth is that the Bible lived in my car, except on Sundays and maybe a Bible study during the week. Otherwise, it was just baking back there in the hot Oklahoma sun. One of the biggest reasons that we struggle to make scripture reading a part of our lifestyle is that we confuse purpose with the byproduct. The purpose of studying God's word is not just to make ourselves feel better. It's not just about bettering ourselves, bettering our faith, and feeling spiritual high. That is not the purpose of reading the scripture. That's a byproduct. Like a runner's high is a byproduct of running. The purpose of running is to invest time to create a healthy body. The purpose of Scripture is investing time to create a healthy relationship with God. That's the purpose. That's the true purpose. 
God has a, I don't want to say God has a toward relationship with humanity. Humanity has a toward relationship with God. We're not a very good bride is the problem. Throughout scripture, we can see this happening time and time again. Time and time where the people's relationship with God waxed and waned, and it's all about their connection with God and God's word. In Exodus 32, sorry, I'm getting distracted. In Exodus 32, we have a story of the people of Israel freshly freed into the wilderness from Egypt. Moses leaves for a very short amount of time, relatively. He's going up to talk to God and to get the rules and bring them back down. And after, again, a relatively short amount of time, the people of Israel demand that Aaron create for them a new God. And he does it. And that's never fully addressed, which is weird. Not specifically, anyway. There's some implications that, that Aaron also repented along with the other priests. But the people of Israel were separated from the word of God because their connection, their conduit was Moses himself. He was the mouthpiece. The people of Israel were separated from God and they immediately turned to themselves and to other things. Even though they had just been freed from Egypt, they had just seen all of these miraculous things, they had just experienced God firsthand, yet they turned away. Thumbing through Judges and Book of Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, at any point you're going to find, like just thumb through, finger down, you're going to find a story about people, the people of Israel. And their success or their failures is going to be directly dependent upon whether or not they are living by God's rule or whether they have turned away from him and have done evil in his eyes. Every single one. Like, boom, victory, failure, 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 failure. Victory. Second Kings 22, we have the, the story, it's the famous and it's the easiest low-hanging fruit story for studying scripture, the story of Josiah, the boy king, who, when he's like 18, the, the, people, the, the, a, the a priest finds the word of God off the shelves in the temple. Who'd have thunk it? No, it was behind a wall. They were doing some renovations. He pulls this out. They begins reading the law to Josiah and he tears his cloth his clothes because they had fallen so far away from what God demanded that they lived. And he, he decided immediately that that had to change. Immediately that they needed to change the way the people of Israel lived. He enacted reforms and, and got rid of idols and high places, kicked out priests that didn't belong there, trying to be, bring the people of Israel back in line, back into alignment with God. He renewed their vows, like literally stood before the people and read the covenant God had made with the people to renew their vow to be God's people. But even after such great strides in the right direction, that change didn't even last one generation. Because after Josiah was killed in battle, immediately the next ruler did evil in the eyes of the Lord in the same way that his forefathers did before him, save Josiah. It 
despite the fact that we, God's creation, turn away from God time and time again. And again, I say we have that toward relationship because we are not a good bride. Time and time again, we've turned away from God, yet still God has chosen to extend forgiveness and love. A reckless sort of love. Ken made fun of me a few months back because in a prayer, I think I, asked, I thanked God for his inadvisable love. Because it really is, with the amount of time that humanity has turned away from God, his faithfulness to us is inadvisable. But it's still there. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But God's love is still available to us. In Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11, Paul describes this love. He says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we shall re- also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God chose to die for us, not when we were allied with him, not when we were on his side already, but he chose to die for us while we were still on the other side of the, the, the battlefield. While we were still enemies of God, he chose to die for us. So if God is willing to die for his enemy, imagine what he's willing to do for those who are actively seeking a relationship with him. That's a wonderful thought. So we must make a concerted effort to cultivate that relationship with God. We should do that not in the vain attempt to get more from God. That's not what I'm saying. Again, those blessings and those feelings of of joy and peace, the strength that we receive from God, that is all the byproduct of studying the Word. That's not the purpose. Remember, purpose is relationship. We should study, we should spend time in the Word, we should seek a relationship with Him because God's too important to us not to. Just like a husband or a wife. We must seek to make time for God because he's that important. Jesus himself is a keen example of investing in a relationship with God. Time and time again, he would go to a lonely place and pray. His teachings literally dripped scripture. And you might say, well, he was God. He kind of knew it. But it shows how important Scripture was to him. Because not only were his teachings directly linked to prophecies and and words of old, but he sought out Scripture during his times of trial as well. Matthew chapter 4, we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ drawing strength and perseverance from God through 
Scripture. Whenever he was hungry, he found strength to avoid the temptations the devil was bringing before him through Scripture. When the devil offered him dominion, he sought Scripture as strength. When the devil offered basically to give him the souls of all humanity, if you'd only bow before the devil himself, God, Jesus didn't fall for that because he found strength in Scripture. I think that's pretty revealing about how we can benefit having a decent, not decent, a good relationship with God. But it can't happen on its own. Like any relationship, it takes effort, and you must make a choice to do so. Studying is hard. I had to learn how to study when I went to college because when I was in high school, it was just easy. Like, for me, it, I, was in, I had to go to class, right? And all of the tests were just stuff that the teacher said in class. So I didn't ever have to, like, spend time studying. And then I went to college, and that kind of changed. Because a lot of times the teachers would just talk about what they wanted to talk about. And then, oh, yeah, uh, read these chapters. Uh, those will probably be on the test, maybe. I had to teach myself how to study because I didn't know how. And I, I, I met a lot of failure before I found any success. I know while working in my grad studies, long after I had learned how to study, studying the Bible for both scholastic and faithful reasons was hard. I would fall asleep reading commentaries. I'd fall asleep just in the middle of the word because I was, it just, at times was boring. If you struggle studying the Bible, you're in good company. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you human. But just because something is difficult doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So I want to encourage you to, to make it a priority. If you struggle studying the Bible, I want to encourage you to not just fake it till you make it. I hate that phrase. I despise it. Because faking it till you make it means you just do something because you know you should do it, but you're just doing it. You're going through the motions. And if you're just going through the motions, reading a scripture, and throwing the book down, making, well, I got, my, I got my three verses in today. I got my four verses in today. I got my chapter in today. The purpose of your studying is just to get those chapters in going to have no meaning or love behind it. So don't just fake it till you make it. If you are struggling, try to seek out why. It could be that there's something deeper than just you don't like reading. Maybe it's something that's happened in the past. Maybe it's your, your current relationship with God or your, your viewpoint of God is not where it needs to be. I know for, for, for myself, you know, God is always described as the Father, and if, and if the, my relationship with my Father is not that great. He gave me some, some things to do, and then I had to figure it out on my own. I had to teach myself how to shave because my dad had already left. And so reading Scripture then becomes, 
here are some instructions that you have to figure out on your own. That's not what God wants. And that's not what is beneficial in studying Scripture. It's not just about making myself better or teaching myself new skills. It's about relationship. And that needs to be the purpose. It might be that you just don't know how to study. Some of you have been out of school for a while. Or maybe you, you, you don't like studying because you've always read the Bible the same way. And it feels kind of old. So I want to encourage you to seek out different ways. Maybe look for a book at the Christian bookstore or on Amazon. Something that will be a guide or, or help you along the way. That's a great option. Um, a Bible study tactic that I like is to not rush yourself. Sometimes we see studying the Bible as something, I want, to get through, I want to get through the whole Bible in a year. That is a lot. Maybe start somewhere else. Give yourself 52 chapters. Spend a week in each chapter. Read it every day. It's a little bit different way of studying the Bible. Read that same chapter every day. Think about it in different ways. Read one day, say, what does this tell me about me? Another day, what does this tell me about God? How can I apply this today? Maybe you're reading it and you say, what does this mean? And start asking questions. One of the greatest things you can do is to bring a buddy along with you. Don't study by yourself. Don't see this as something that you have to, to shoulder alone. Because you'll be amazed at what kind of insight you can receive by just one other person's voice while studying Scripture. But you have to make a choice. Uh, set a sorry, just <laughs> set a challenging but attainable standard. I say standard rather than goal. Goals are something that you strive for, but you're kind of okay if you miss it by a little bit. A standard is a baseline. Set a baseline. If you want to study Scripture, study Scripture. Say, I will read this. I will, this, I will study through this book. I will read this chapter all week long. The next week I'm going to read this one. But you have to be intentional about it. Because it doesn't just happen on its own. Try reading different translations of the Bible. That's a great way. Read a different one every day. Bible Gateway is great for that. Or your Bible app can help you with that. If, if, if you feel like your studying has become stale because you're tired of reading the same words over and over again, I want you to, to pull up your Bible app and read the Hawaiian Creole version of the Bible. It is one of my favorites. It is readable, but it is, it is nothing like you had ever read before. I can guarantee that. And it will make you not just read the words, but contemplate the meaning of what's behind the words. I want to encourage you, when you're studying the Bible, to stretch. And by stretching, I mean, don't just... In the beginning was the word, word was God, and word was... Blah, blah, blah. Okay, done. Spend time before and after in prayer. Think about what you read. It's more than just a race to get through. 
Hold yourself accountable. Make sure that the focus is always on that relationship with God. And, it, and it's not just trying to check a li- something off a list. Imagine if your relationship with your husband or wife or friends, they treated it as just checking off a list. Hey, I'm calling you this morning because it said to on my to-do list. How are you doing? Okay, that's great. Bye. That's not what God wants, and that's not what we want. Be intentional about it. My sophomore year at Oklahoma State University, I took a philosophy class, mostly because I had to get another hour of humanities in, and it seemed easy. I don't know. Uh, It was very basic. Everything was basic. Uh, I have a working knowledge of certain philosophical ideas and thoughts. I know a couple names still. Not much stuck with me. In fact, I can really only think of like three main things that I can really think and remember clearly. The first was this concept called Pascal's Wager, which was a rational argument for believing in God. It's not very good theologically, but it's interesting. But I'll always remember that. I'll always remember that I fell asleep during my final because I pulled my real first full all-nighter, writing the paper for that same class the night before. I got there thinking it was a multiple-choice test, and I found out it was an essay test. So, like, midway through the second essay, like, I fell asleep for, like, maybe 10 minutes and woke up, and I was like, ah, finish it. And the last was one of the, the writing prompts, and it's the only one that I can remember. It was a Tuesday-Thursday class, and so every Thursday we had a writing prompt, and it usually dealt with what we studied on Tuesday and before. And this particular writing prompt uh, was something to this effect. You have discovered unequivocally that there is no God by any and all concepts of faith traditions currently held on earth. In what ways would that change your personality, ethical decisions, and motivations? My response was something to the effect that my motivation would then turn to family. And it would be about preserving my family, protecting them, providing for them, and providing for them in the fact that I want to treat other people well so that they will treat my family well once I pass. Something to that effect. And then I might have thrown in something what, thankfully, that's not the case. Just to jab it. The reason I say this is because I want to bring a different thought today as we close. That thought is, what if God is real? I suppose a better question would be, what would our life be like if we lived as if we believed that God is real? As if we knew that God is real? What would we fill our time with? Would our behaviors and habits change? Because too often our lives simply look that like we Hope that God is real. The decisions we make, the priorities we hold, the level of holiness that we actually pursue, they all paint a picture of someone who just thinks God might be real. And that's really the best light I can put it in. Because the alternative is that we know that God is real, we just choose not to make time for him. Which is a much darker thought. So I choose the better light. Brothers and sisters, God is real. 
God is real because the truth of his reality is revealed in Scripture. It's affirmed by our faith. It's affirmed by the faith of those who have lived before us. And it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God, be that 20 years into daily Bible reading and devotion, or if you only crack your Bibles on Sunday mornings or when you accidentally click the app open when you're trying to open up Facebook. That truth is still real for you. And the time is now to deepen your relationship with God. Wherever you are on that spectrum. If you've long experienced the joy that is in a rich relationship with God, I call you to go deeper. Go deeper in your own connection, in your own pursuit of God, a relationship with God. Find someone who's struggling and go with them and help them along. So that not only will you two grow closer together as brothers and sisters, but you can grow closer to God together. And maybe your enthusiasm and maybe your experience in studying Scripture can help them along as well. Someone who might be struggling to crack that book once a week. If you're feeling wholly unworthy of a relationship with God and you feel ashamed for not making him a priority, you're in pretty good company. You're not the first person to take the relationship with God for granted and you won't be the last, but Christ still died for you. God's grace is still offered to you. All that's left to do is to choose to make that relationship with God a priority. And there's no reason to wait two more days for a New Year's resolution. There's no reason why you can't make that choice today because there's no better time for that decision than now because God is real and a relationship with him is important enough to make time for. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love, your illogical, inadvisable love for us, God. Lord, we cry out to you for forgiveness for the many times that we have just ignored you. That we've ignored the importance of a relationship with you. That we've taken your love and, and your scripture for granted, God. And God, we're so grateful for the grace that you offer us despite our own decisions. Lord, give us the strength to repent. Give us the strength to turn away from, uh, from selfish endeavors, from idle living, and let us Turn wholly towards you. Help us to, to have the strength to make time for you like you deserve. To welcome you into our lives and to let your words permeate our being. Lord, help us to seek you as you have sought us. So you're going to be praying.